Great to see you today. Good morning. Thanks for all of you joining us online. I want to just warn those joining us online, make sure you get your communion elements ready to go. Uh, we'll be doing communion later in the service, and so if you're at home, you'll have to pull that together if you haven't already done that. I want to begin this message by reading a section of Kevin Meyer's book entitled Grown Up Faith. Our series is based on his book. Um, in fact, this book is for sale if you're interested in reading his book. He does a lot of storytelling in here that's interesting. Uh, and you can get one of those books out there at the Information Center. Of course, we have guides for you that are free. So if, if you have not yet picked up a free guide that goes along with this series, I greatly encourage you to do that. You can get that also at the Information uh, Center. I want to begin by reading a story out of his book. Listen to this story. There was no effort to plan the moment. It just happened. I was three miles from home, traveling in my car on State Route 20 with my son, Jaden, who was then seven years old. And there in front of us appeared Marcia, who was also driving home. I felt serendipitous. So I immediately pulled into the left lane alongside her, and Jaden waved to his mom. We all laughed and enjoyed the moment. Our right turn was coming up, so I casually sped up in an attempt to pass her. But she sped up. I sped up more. But again, she matched my speed. Even after I put on my right blinker, she wouldn't let me pass and get in front of her. By then, we were almost at our turn, so I had to pull in behind her as she made the right turn to the two-lane road leading towards our subdivision. Clearly, she intended to beat us home. I slowed down, took the turn, and followed her. Most people who know me are aware of how competitive I am. What they do not know is that Marcia who is quiet, is also highly competitive. I could tell she was amused at her little maneuver, but I wasn't. I didn't want to let Jaden know or think that his mom could defeat me in an unplanned driving contest. So what was I going to do? The one-mile stretch of road we were on had a double yellow line. No passing zone the whole way, and ahead lay a blind curve to the left before another straightaway. I did a quick calculation... And knowing an accident wouldn't be possible, after all, I drove this road every day. I crossed the double line with lightning speed as we got uh, through the curve and started passing. My wife was flabbergasted, but I was proud of myself. Only for a moment, though, as I came alongside Marcia, a car suddenly pulled into my lane, driving directly at me. I was set to have a head-on collision. Then it got worse. As if in a movie, red and blue lights begin to flash from within the oncoming car, as well as its headlights. It was an undercover officer. Now, I'd driven that road thousands of times over 15 years, and this three-second window was the only time I'd ever seen an undercover cop pull onto this lonely road. It was either pull over and stop or hit the cop car head-on. I could see my wife in my rear-view mirror laughing her head off. As I pulled out of the officer's lane, I was caught, I was cooked, dead to rights. There went a perfectly good day along with what I thought was a well-executed driving maneuver. Now, what do you think my response should have been to the situation? After all, I was just having fun. Why me? Why did this bad thing happen to me? Or maybe I should be angry at the police officer for showing up where and when he wasn't welcomed. Or maybe I should blame Marcia. She, after all, had led me into the temptation. Nope, there's one undeniable truth. I did this to myself. Amen? So, I'm studying this 
book, Getting Ready for this Series, right? I know this story. It was about two months ago, and Vicki and I were heading to our lake place. I'm tired. It's 11 o'clock at night. I've already driven four and a half hours. I got cruise control set close to the speed limit, just a little bit above. You ever do that? I went through Mission, Minnesota. Speed limit's 45. And there were four signs saying it's 45. I now counted them. Because the officer let me know that pulled me over. He was hiding and he pulled out and I go, rats, oh! You know, and I just, I looked down and said, guilty. But that didn't make me any happier. And I remember my wife kind of saying, yeah. telling me to thank the officer for the ticket when I got it because he gave me a lesser ticket than he could have given me. I'm going, Arr. you know, and, and, but I knew I deserved it. I knew that it was my fault. I just had to admit I, I was speeding. So we're on week four. We're on week four in our series, Growing Up Faith. And we're in this intensive spiritual workout program to become a grown-up, mature, athletic follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? You with me? Some of you are going, what are you talking about, right? I hope you limbered up. Worship was like limbering up today. You know, just getting your heart and your mind and your will ready uh, to receive uh, biblical knowledge and, 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 and furthering relationship with Jesus and maybe more determined than ever and equipped than ever to uh, be a person of, of holy obedience. I'm going to talk about a common question that we face, I think, in culture. If you haven't faced this already, I think you'll face it at some point. It goes something like this. Why do bad things happen to good people? And I'm going to give you the answer right away. The source of bad things is sin. Sometimes in the case of Kevin Myers and me, it's our own sin that got us in trouble. Amen? I got a ticket because I was speeding. It was my fault. There's no one else to blame. Amen? Amen. You ever been in that situation? You want to blame somebody. But listen, if you don't speed, you're probably not going to get a ticket. Sometimes we experience bad things because we're in proximity to it. A loved one we're in relationship with or whatever, a, a child or somebody like that, they do some things that are wrong and we suffer some consequences, maybe as a family or in a friendship or whatever, because of their sin. Amen? Ever had that happen? I've had that happen a lot. We live in a sin-soaked world, don't we? There's just lots of evil out there. And so we're going to experience some suffering at times simply because we are in that environment. And then on top of that, we had an adversary, the devil on the prowl, to bring harm our direction. And he wants to destroy us. So our big thought for this message is this. You know what the problem of the world is? Why bad things happen? Sin. Sin is the problem. Sin is the problem. Sin and its effects are why bad things happen to people. So why do bad things happen to good people? Because of what? Sin. Now let me talk to you about this. Because that question is misleading in and of itself. I, I, it's a fundamentally flawed question. It's asked in the wrong way. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read to you verses 17 through 18. Listen to what this says. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up uh, and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why 
do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So here's a perspective. You got to understand. You just got to know. This has to be biblical knowledge that's residing up here in your mind. No one is good except God. Amen? No one is good except God. Our minds must be settled on this biblical knowledge. No one is good except God. That's true biblical knowledge. This common question, why do bad things happen to good people, is a misleading and wrong question. And if you try to go down where that question is taking you, it'll take you to a non-biblical understanding of life and you'll be wrong in your conclusion because there are no good people. There's only one. God. And Jesus, by the way, was saying, if you're calling me good, you're basically saying I'm God. Amen? You see what he was doing there? Kind of trying to teach this person I am. If you're calling me good, okay, good, I'm God. He's trying to get that person to conclude that. But anyway, so sin is the problem. Uh, Then we ought to know where it came from and what it's about. So we're going to do that for a few moments. We're going to zoom in on sin for a few moments. Aren't you glad you're here? I'm going to talk with you about being sinners. No, I'm just, no, I'm actually not joking. Um, We saw last week that there's this big picture. The Bible's one story. And and I talked in that on detail last week. If you missed it, I'd highly recommend you go back and watch that. It'll help you. Um, The second major event that takes uh, place after creation and righteous humanity, uh, we see we're fellowshipping with God, was that Satan and sin entered. So we have this big picture. I think it's going to pop up on the screen here once again and, and, and hopefully give you a visual there. There you see, this is the, the big picture of the Bible. It all starts with God and righteous people in paradise. And right away, it, it, Genesis chapter 3, we see Satan and sin enter into uh, the human experience. Listen what, to what happens now in Genesis 3. I'm going to read for you verses 1 uh, through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. She added that, by the way. God didn't say that. She added that. Lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And one of the first things that you do when you're going to enter into a sin is you begin to rationalize away the things of God. You begin to say they don't, they don't really mean what they mean. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the women saw that the tree was good for food, we call that lust of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, we call that lust of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, that's called the pride of life, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and never said a word, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So we see here in the fall of humanity how sin entangles. It appeals, first of all, to the lust of the flesh. And what that means is it wants your appetites to control you. It wants you to be driven by physical impulses. It appeals to the lust of the eyes. It tempts your eyes to wander and desire that which you should not have. Then there's the pride of life. This is thinking, I know better than God. And what a pitiful picture here. Adam and Eve, they've now fallen. They're ashamed. And what do they sew together? Fig leaves. They cover themselves. 
that wouldn't even go through one cycle in your washing machine, amen? This just wouldn't work. It would just fall apart. It's such a pitiful picture of mankind trying to solve the sin problem themselves. God had placed a restriction on Adam and Eve. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden called the knowledge of good and evil. If they did, they would die. Eve exaggerated the command, as we often do when we don't want to do what God wants to do. She exaggerated the command to include, well, we can't even touch it or we'll die. And when you're about to sin, that's usually what you do. You exaggerate the harshness of God and you make him say things he's not saying to rationalize away your disobedience. Eve was right when she said, the Lord had commanded us not to eat of this fruit or we're going to die. She was right in that connection. What does sin result in? Death, right? What does sin result in? Death. I'm going to say this until you answer me. What does sin result in? Thank you. Sin results in death. So here's the problem. God called something death, and humanity chose to believe it was harmless. That's the problem. God said, when you disobey me, when you choose to neglect what I've told you, you choose not to do that, that will lead to death, where humanity said, no, it's harmless, I can do it. In fact, in Adam and Eve's case, not only did they ignore God's warning of death from disobedience, they were willing to believe what the serpent was telling them, that if they actually pursued this course of action, they would be like God. Pride of life. Oh my goodness, pride of life. They would be like God. So they not only discarded the warning, uh, you know, of, of not eating, but they thought, man, I, 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 I'm choosing to believe that this disobedience is harmless, but more than that, I'm choosing to believe that it's actually a good thing for me to do. Okay? Do you think this still happens today? Come on, do we see this all over in our world today? This same kind of reasoning? Let me ask you this question. Do we see it in the church? Yeah, we do. We see it all the time in the church. I see people all the time rationalizing why they can disobey God, why they know better. I see it all, it breaks my heart. It's still going on. If you go to Genesis chapter 5, it lists the genealogy from Adam to Noah. It's interesting, this list. It's going to appear here. It's behind me in the screen. Adam lived 930 years and then died. Seth lived 912 years, then died. Enoch lived 905 years, died. Kenan lived 910 years, died. Mahalalel lived 895 years, died. Enoch, he walked with God, he was no more. God just took him home, he said, good job. Boom, he's home. Methuselah lived 969 years and died. Lamlech lived 777 years and what? Are you seeing a pattern? Sometimes we look at this scripture and people go, why did people live so long back then? Well, perhaps it was because it's pre-flood and, you know, the earth's atmosphere and climate probably was very conducive and and good for uh, life. Most likely they were close to, well, they were close to Adam and Eve since it starts with Adam. Probably had really good genetics, amen? And probably had those benefits. I don't know. There's lots of conjecture made. But one thing I do know, what happened to these guys? They died. What happens when you sin? Death. 
And right away in Genesis chapter 5, we see all these people dying. If that's not enough, when you get to to Genesis chapter 4, the chapter right after 3, of course, where where we have the fall of of mankind, Uh, in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel are going at it. And and they're both giving gifts to God and offering God their gifts. And and Abel's was better than Cain, and Cain got jealous. And what did he do to his brother Abel? Do you remember? He killed him. So God says, if you eat of this fruit in the middle of the garden, it'll usher in death. Chapter 4, death. Chapter 5, death. Do you, see the, do you see the connection here? We're supposed to see this connection. Not only that, it did something just as bad. It unplugged humanity from God's power. It just unplugged us. In fact, that's a consequence I want you to note. When humankind sinned, it separated or unplugged us from God. Um, in this series, we're talking about what it means to have grown-up faith. And that means it'll involve your mind and your heart and your will. And guess what? All those things were corrupted by the fall of humanity. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But sin unplugged humanity. How many of you own one of these things? Basically, everybody owns a cell phone, right? So, I am notoriously bad about keeping track of this. Anybody else? I mean, my, my wife, she's, she's super diligent with her cell phone. She's guy, always got it with her. Mine just kind of ends up where it ends up. I, I'm doing the thing. Where's my phone? Anybody got that on their watch? Finding my phone all the time. Frequently, she'll bring it into me at night. I know she's watching this right now. Thank you, honey. She'll frequently bring it into me at night and say, you forgot to plug this in. Oh, yeah, right, right. Or the other day, I forgot it at home and she dropped it off at work for me, you know, and that kind of thing. And so here's what happens. What happens when you don't, unplug, when you don't plug your phone in? What happens? It dies at the most inconvenient time. Like when you're trying to make a call or someone just called, you go, nuts, I'm down to 1%. How'd that happen? And uh, then the phone just goes blank, right? Um, When mankind sinned, it was like they disconnected the power cord to God. We unplugged ourselves from God. We lost a source of power. And we've never been the same since. And it costs all kinds of consequences, all kinds of, of, uh, of uh, corruption. Mankind and life as we know it was diminished. So let me talk about this in using our grown-up faith terminology. First of all, our minds were corrupted. If, if you're in your sinful condition, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, your mind is corrupted. It no longer sees truth. Romans 1 talks about all this stuff also. In fact, I love how Romans 1 walks us through this progression. Uh, it begins by saying that those who reject God will have their thinking become fruitful, And all that they claim to be wise, they will be foolish. So when you unplug from God, when you unplug from God because of sin, it, the fall did that to us, then our minds get corrupted and we no longer see truth right. And there's a lot of people, right? Amen today. Would you agree with me? They just don't understand biblical truth at all, do they? Amen? Now, should we, as Christ followers, should we see truth? Yes. Why? Because we're plugged into God through the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen, right? And so we should see biblical truth. Second thing that happened, the heart got corrupted. It no longer trusts God. Romans 1 also says that the ones who reject God had their hearts darkened. One of the saddest moments, I think, in the whole New Testament, or excuse me, Old Testament, um, was that, that experience or that situation where God came to Adam and Eve in the garden after they had sinned, and they hid from him. 
And he called for them because that's our God. God's always calling for lost people, isn't he? And right away, God shows his redemptive nature. Right away, he calls out to Adam and Eve. Um, And, you know, ever since that time, fallen mankind has tried to hide from God. But we have this great reconciler. I just have to take a moment here and give you some, some hope. Okay, because we're talking some bleak stuff here with sin. But I, I was thinking, we know the rest of the story, don't we? Amen. Praise be to God. We know that God so loved the world that he sent his only son that we can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is like the captain of our salvation. He's the prince of peace, right? He's that lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's a bridge of God, the way maker. Amen. So we know the rest of the story. But I tell you what, because of sin... Hearts were corrupted, and in our sinful condition, such a heart does not trust God. And then the will was corrupted. It no longer serves God as a loving father. Rather, unredeemed mankind sees God as a hard taskmaster or something foreign or something to be ignored. Romans 1 says, God gave those who reject him over to their sinful desires to serve those things. And they did those things that were not supposed to be done. We humans will serve something. It's in our nature. We're either going to serve God or in the absence of God, in our fallen condition, we'll become slaves to all kinds of harmful masters, be it uh, sexual impulses or money or power or recognition. Amen, right? All those things will become our taskmasters. And then the blame game began. The blame game began. Now consider this, it may be done on purpose or it may be done unintentionally. But when somebody says, why do bad things happen to good people? Behind that question, I think, is an accusation. Basically a finger pointing at, this is God's fault. It's not that we brought it on ourselves, it's God's fault, right? That's kind of what's going on. It's a continuation of what began with Satan and sin and Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve had sinned. God came to them. He's walking in the cool of the evening. They heard the Lord. They hid. And God called to the man, where are you? Now consider this. Do you think that God didn't know where Adam and Eve were at? Come on. What's he doing here? He's trying to help them come back to him. Can anybody ever hide from God? What do you think? No. Okay. So God's calling them. It's showing us the nature of God. Is God seeking fallen fallen mankind? Of course he is. He's already showing his redemptive nature. Our God, I mean, I just can't. I, I just, God redeems, God restores, God regenerates. He blesses. Amen. Praise God. Amen. That's our God. That's his nature. Adam answered God saying, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid. God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the forbidden fruit? Now Adam said, sure, yes, you're right, God. I did. I confess. I sinned. I messed up. I, I, my bad. That's what Adam said, right? No. What did he say? Blank game begin. That woman, that woman, she no longer has a name. That woman... And then what did he say? That you gave me. Woo! He's blaming the woman and he's blaming God, right? It's my fault, God. You put her here. It's your fault. And then he turns to the woman and he, and he says, what did you do? 
And she said, the devil made me do it. Amen? Devil made me do it. And the blame game began. Adam blamed God and Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent. People wrongly blame God today for the suffering they experience. It's just misplaced blame. It's just wrong. And part of the question behind the question, or part of the accusation behind the question of why do bad things happen to good people, implies that somehow this is God's fault, or that God is unfair in his treatment of us. But realize that the root of all bad things is what? Sin. And all of its consequences. I, are you tired of COVID-19? Anybody beside me? You, someone said yes. I, I got some vocal response to that one. You know, every time I turn around, I hear about COVID-19 this, COVID-19 that. I'm starting to think, here COVID, there COVID, everywhere COVID, COVID-19. I mean, I'm just getting so tired of hearing about it. It's, it's just permeating everything culture. Have you noticed that? It's on the radio. It's on the news. It counts. You know, they don't just say how many active cases. They say how many total cases. The whole state of South Dakota is red. Well, we don't have that many cases right now, but we, you know, one, once there was 100, but is there 100 now? What's going on? You know what I mean? And it's just like it's permeated everything that we do. That's sin. Sin has permeated every crack and crevice and every institution and every relationship and every, every part of the human condition. Amen? It really has. And we have to understand the nature of the foe that we're battling here. It's just pervasive. It's influential. It's just everywhere. So here's a grown-up faith action plan. First of all, if you sin, like when I got that ticket, it was hard. I I was speeding. (laughs) And I have to, my lovely wife, she's, she's lovely. She really is. He reduced the, 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 the ticket amount by saying I was going less speed than I was. And we get done, and she goes, you didn't thank him. I said, I'm mad right now. She said, you should have thanked him. That was gracious of him. I said, you're, you're, you're right. I'm still mad. <laughs> That's how we get, don't we? When we do something wrong, even when you're admitting it, you, you, you can still justify it, sort of. So listen, if we're going to be grown-up people in Christ Jesus, we've got to admit sin and we've got to quit it. Just that simple. We've got to admit sin and you've just got to quit it. A mark of grown-up faith is taking responsibility for your actions. And it's tough at times. It's so tough. I'm going to, just, I'm going to say it's really hard. So how is your self-awareness? Do you justify sin? Do you take responsibility when you sin for the consequences that come along with it? Will you be accountable and... You know, admit when you've sinned. You know, praise be to Jesus Christ. Our sins are as far gone as the east is from the west. And his blood covers our sins, past, present, and future. I know all that theology. Do you know that theology? But you know what? Remember, when Jesus saves us, he delivers us from the dominion of sin and its control. Amen? He delivers us from that. And so at some point in our lives, we have to do due diligence to this thing and and own up to it and admit it and quit it. Now let's look at this from our grown-up faith parameters. First of all, let's look at it from your mind. Fill your mind with biblical knowledge that counteracts corrupt, sinful thinking. Did you hear what I just said? Fill your mind with scripture. Become biblically knowledgeable in ways that that help you to, to combat corrupt, sinful thinking. For instance, 
You should memorize Philippians 4.8. We're going to read that out loud together. It's going to appear here behind me on the screen. We're going to read Philippians 4.8 when it shows up. There it goes. Okay, read this out loud with me, okay? Here we go. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy, praise Think about these things. Amen? Say that to your mind. Establish your mind on this biblical truth. Strengthen your mind. Do the calisthenics. Amen? But put this into your mind. Secondly, let's look at the heart. Ask God to create in you a pure heart. A heart that longs for intimacy with him. When King David had sinned, with Bathsheba by committing adultery with her. Eventually, Nathan the prophet shows up and he confronts David and David admits, yeah, I've done this terrible sin. And we kind of, well, we have Psalm 51 that recounts David's kind of confession and restoration in God. Listen to what he says in verse 10 because I I prayed this a lot in my own life and I pray that you begin to pray this in your life too. David says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Now hear this. Every new a right spirit within me. Our sin, when we become believers in Jesus Christ, doesn't send us to hell, but it causes relational hiccups with our God. And God wants us to relate to him openly and, and authentically and, you know, with all that kind of transparency. And so we have to say, God, just create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. And, and pray that God would create in you this, this heart that beats for him alone, that your heart's strengthened for him, the heart that yearns to know him and his ways. Uh, this week, make it a point, just pray frequently, God, I just want to have this heart that beats after you, that's pure in you, that longs for you. And then there's the will. We need to seek to do the will of the Father. Do what God commands. A lot of, uh, a lot of the way that we combat Sin in our life is to simply be doing what God wants us to do. So we're occupying our lives in a good way. So James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We cannot be of the tribe, folks, of the tribe that is always hearing, 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 but never doing, doing, doing. We have to link the two up. We've got to be doers of what we hear. And as we do, it occupies our being. And we are not going to be as susceptible to doing that which is wrong. So why do bad things happen to good people? Sin, right? Sin can come to us in a multitude of ways. It can be our own issue. We just disobey God. We just do something like I did. We speed. We get in trouble. Sin can come to us through those we love, a spouse, a child. They could do something wrong and then we're suffering these bad things, these consequences. We just live in a sin-soaked world. You can have a drunk driver kill somebody, right? It just, stuff just happens like that because we live in this world that's not that great. And sometimes it's an attack of the enemy. Just in, because he's still roaming around this world seeing what problems he can stir up. And I, I love this, this thought. It's in Revelation. God, God, I love this thought. The kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. 
But there's this process of becoming. So we live in this time where it's, it's confusing. We see the goodness of God unfolding before us. We see these wonderful things happen. <clears throat> and, but over here, what do we see? Evil and distress and carnage and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's what we live in. That's the time we live in. The kingdom of this world is becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of Christ. And he's going to reign forever and ever. But it's a process that we're now involved with and part of it becoming that. Amen? But there's going to be pain. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be troubles. But take heart. Christ said, I've overcome this world. Amen? And greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. Amen? And so just be aware. Why do bad things happen to good people? First of all, bad question. It's not even... Legitimate, there are no good people. But get the gist of the question why do bad things happen? Because of sin. Ourselves, others, the world, the devil. Amen. You got it? So, someone asked you that question, you could talk to them about it. You got it established in your own mind, right? You've done some good calisthenics today with me. God's good. Amen. Let's pray and then we're going to go into a, a moment of communion. Lord God, thank you for this uh, word today. Uh, I praise you for uh, the clarity that you've shown us that you are our Redeemer. Wow. You are the great restorer, Lord. You didn't leave us lost in our sin. You, right away in the garden, you came seeking lost mankind. You came to restore that which was fallen, Lord. And the whole Bible is that one big story of Jesus Christ, of you coming to restore us from our sinful condition, Lord. Praise be to your name. We love you. And as we do communion today, Lord, may we just rejoice anew in it. And may we find comfort in you, Jesus, our, our Lord and our Savior. We, we just love you so much, Jesus. Thank you. In your name, amen.